Methuselites and Coffin Dodgers. Spark up that frankincense, supplement your fattiest acids, and I really didn't think we needed to use protection anymore. Also, it doesn't exist yet. (laughs) (laughs) Because it's time to talk tall to me. Frankincense. Frankincense. Okay, thank you. So, yeah, it's very rough. Welcome back, I am Omen Thomas Sade. And I am Nick McGill. Together we are Feckless Momes. And this, dear ones, is Talk Tall to Me. A geriatric birthing pool in the Nazarene neonatal unit of Progrock, in which nine manas Nick and Anicha Omen will mix cinnamon and Jordan resin with every single song that rabbinical rock band Jethro Tull has ever blessed us with, and then we will set them on fire. We will inhale the goodier galbanum, make offerings to the Florian fetishes, and employ the fumigatory properties of John O'Hara's savory musk. And if we can believe the singing seraphs, we will one day hear the word of the superordinate of Scotland, the lion of the lyricon, the piping protector, the fantastic flute father, Ian Accouchement Anderson. Are we, are we setting Jethro Tull on fire? No, we're are we setting, setting the songs on fire after we okay. mix them with the um, with the resin and the cinnamon. Gotcha. Okay, Thank I you wasn't for clarifying uh, that. I wasn't clear where the pronoun was going. Yeah, accouchement means birth in French. Oh, that's why I put that hmm. in there. Accouchement. Yeah, literally a couchment. That's where people have babies. They couch them onto the couch. Yeah. Well, to to couch something is to lay it, seat it right on put something, it, right? Put it to to, yeah. I'm I'm putting this here. I'm putting this baby here into the world. It's couched in something. I've heard that term before. It's couched in some birthing goo. Yeah. Couched Nick's, in babies. Speaking of birthing goo, um, hello. <laughs> oh Today we have the wonderful hello. opportunity to talk about another exquisite Jethro Tull song, this time off of the Zealot Gene album. By golly, it's not like we've been doing it for the last six weeks. We're going to do it again. Six weeks, really? Yeah, this is track number seven. If you not only are seeing our voices, but also hearing our faces, then Mm -hmm. we would like to thank you for signing up to our $15 a month Patreon level where you get access to all the video feeds. Thank you so much for signing up for that. We're really excited to bring that to those of you who are interested. And if you weren't interested, maybe get interested. <laughs> yes. Thank you, everybody. The oh, oh, you could be seeing Omen pouring a can of non-alcoholic beer into his tall skull mug. It nearly all fits. It doesn't quite. Um, that's said the vicar to the priest. Yes. Yeah. Anyway, Tall Skull Pluses and everyone else, thank you so much for joining us. We are going to jump into track number seven. As we said, we are on the second half now. We are we are on the uh, on our way out of the album. This is coming from Luke chapter one thirty six through forty one. If you'd like to read along 
uh, study up while we listen to the music. This is Baron Beth, Wild Desert. John. John. John? Baron Beth. Is it Desert John? Parentheses, Wild Desert John. Oh, I've had it wrong all along. (laughs) (laughs) This changes everything. It does. It really does. My life is thrown for a loop. Baron Beth, Wild Desert John. Let's have a listen. Nick! Omen, first thoughts on Baron Beth, Wild Desert John. Do you remember your first, first thoughts yeah, on this song? I do, because I freaking loved it. I really love the call and response aspect of this song. Bum, 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 bum. I love that. And then Ian's voice, too. Yeah, yep. Oh, the joy. I love the flute work in this, the intro. Mm-hmm. I think it's a very gritty, kind of grungy song, which I really appreciate. And I also, as soon as I kind of clocked what the content was, I love it as well because it's, it is a slightly more, not obscure, John is certainly not an obscure figure in the Bible, but we're seeing a slightly more obscure perspective on something that is familiar. Hmm. And that's something that I really appreciate about Ian in general. He says, look, here's this thing that you've seen 1,000 times in your life before. A train. Trains. Trains. (laughs) A bank. A horse. Mm -hmm. Now I'm going to show it to you, and you're never going to be able to look at it in the same way again. And that's what he does with this biblical story, and and I adore that. I adore that approach. Yeah, I think that's a good way to put it. Yeah, it's definitely, he approaches it from an aspect that probably not many people have considered, you know? I mean, I certainly haven't thought about, and and I know there are parts in the Bible where it talks about them as children or, or John being conceived around the same time, et cetera, et cetera. But just the idea of, who's the wife? Mary. The, 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 the mother is Mary. Both Marys, right? Two Marys? Elizabeth Those? and Mary. Elizabeth. Beth. Baron Beth. There it is. Baron Beth. Booth a B. Bar- Baron Beth. Bottom bracelet. Yeah, just the just the idea of those the relationship between those two is is interesting. You know, it's Yeah. Big J C always gets the, the limelight. It's sort of we sort of have here the Neville Longbottom of the Bible, if you will. <laughs> He's John is Neville Longbottoming for Jesus. Hashtag bottoms for Jesus. <laughs> and that's how I got my ticket to double hell. <laughs> how do you feel about the song musically when you heard this song for the first time, when you heard it for the next couple of times? Does it do it for you? Do you bop to this? I think it, upon initial initially hearing it, it was very like floored and impressed, kind of blown away. The last couple of times, it's been it's been kind of meh for me. It's kind of huh. fallen back. I think I've listened to it enough, and I've really the last couple of songs that we've we've really covered have been kind of pulled to the forefront in terms of of being able to to appreciate a little bit more. That this one, upon listening to it, it like it just feels a little simple, and the 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 hardness, the grungy dirtiness feels like hard grungy dirtiness that you get from. A Costco. You get you buy it in bulk. 
wow, it feels generic, I guess. You know, this is what hard sounds like. I will play hard now. You know, that's interesting. Yeah, and valid reaction. Every, every reaction to art is valid, except for trying to ban it, which is fascism. There you go. Wonderful. Well said. I think that if you look at this song and how it stacks to the other songs in the album, I think that this, based on what Ian has told us about the recording process, they, I think we've misrepresented it a little bit because we've always said, oh yeah, this was recorded entirely during, during COVID lockdown. Well, it wasn't, that's not entirely true. Yeah. Some of the tracks they did have pre-lockdown. So on this is one of the tracks that where we do have Scott Hammond playing the drums. Other of mm-hmm. the tracks, we had Ian taking care of the percussion, and those are great too. But what I really like about this song is that it's the full band sound. And I frickin' love the, the drums on this song. Oh, the joy. Oh, the joy. I also really, even though I kind of said some less than kind opinions about Florian. I really like what he's bringing to this song. It's maybe it is a little simple in terms of, you know, the entire world of electric guitar that's out there, but I love it. I think it works. The other thing I really enjoy about this song is the structure of it. Mm, I do like the structure, yeah. Even though it sounds kind of simple, once you start getting into the way that it's counted, it's going back and forth between 4-4 four, four and 3-4. I think the, the intro is in 3-4. I think I caught that. Did I think you? I caught spots of 3. I couldn't have I couldn't have explained it as 3-4-4-4, four, 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 but I think I caught spots of 3. I'm so proud of you. Yeah. Spots of 3, let it be. Spots of 4, you dirty whore. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. Yeah. Let's break it down musically. So in the very first moment, we have rum-pum, Ian just slapping the flute all over our faces. It's I, yeah. it, he brings that staccato. He's flutter tonguing. It's elegant. It's it's beautiful. It's it has a sense of the baroque. It almost mm-hmm. makes me think of those even earlier, the more medieval paintings where every little leaf is just so well-defined, everything's kind of flat, but but very vivid. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it comes in strong. It comes in kind of forceful. Yeah. I didn't remember. I thought there was a little bit of a preamble or like a lightness to it. And it really comes in strong until you get to the heavy part. And then it's like, wow, that wasn't strong at all. Mm-hmm. This this is strong. Yeah, and I like that it leads in with that, oh, the, oh, the squam. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, the joy. Oh, the joy. The drums and the guitar coming in. So, like you said, it, it ups it. It makes it a level up. And that, that break in instrumentation with just voice is always so effective for me. I just, yeah. I do enjoy that sound. And then later on, we have the What would one be without the other? What would one be without the other? Yeah, the choruses, yeah. They're really pleasant. Yeah, they are. Very, a little madrigal-ish. Hmm, sure, yeah. We've got Ian in the background singing his patented Ian harmonies in the back. Yeah. It works, though. It works. And then we, we also have a bit of call and response where he he repeats the line after after a certain line. So it's, oh yeah, it's in the, the parentheses in the lyrics. 
Cousin Mary, Mary. Cousin Mary. Even with the first line, oh, the joy, oh, the joy. Oh, the joy, yeah. Oh, the joy, oh, the joy. There's one, though, there's one where he just, he kind of, he took it to church a little bit. He didn't quite stick with the structure. It goes, mm-hmm. <laughs> I missed that. I, I can't remember which one it is. I think it might be, I don't know. I think it's after, like, an, one of the iconic mothers. Iconic mother. I love that my favorite line in all of this is winged Gabriel, young Gabriel. <laughs> winged Gabriel, young Gabriel. As if he's saying, that little shit. It's so <laughs> funny to me. I love it. There's a lot under that voice that brings in and matches the power of the heavy to be dichotomous with the soft version of him singing and then responding with the, the light flute and the, the heavy guitar, things like that. But there's, you can also interpret it as, as having meaning with that voice as well. And that's one thing that I'm really enjoying about this album as a whole is I've always, for me, the Bible has always been a very smooth-surfaced set of books. Yeah. It has felt very flat to me, and what Ian is doing for a confirmed non-Christian, is really bringing nuance to it. And it's like, oh, wow, thank you so much. Most people go through confirmation for Christianity. I was confirmed Catholic. Uh, you were confirmed not Catholic. <laughs> God, you went through I, your Catholic non-confirmation. They actually dipped someone into me. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's not... I was... <laughs> That was too easy. Let's talk about at one minute forty four seconds. Yes, we have a flute splosion. Mm, the the bit the little bit of a breakdown. I love that section. Is that the legit breakdown that then turns into Florian going to town? There it is. Okay. Yeah, it's great. We do get a sense of Florian's personality, which is something that I've commented on that I have felt is, is a little lacking so far in this album. Mm. But we do get a sense of his of his soul here, and it's nice. It's a nice yeah. soul. It's a nice soul. It's a soul you'd uh, you you'd wear in public. Yeah. Another great thing that I really love, a detail that I really enjoy about this song is at the very end, we have a little bit of an unusual ending. Mm-hmm. We have what sounds like the end, and then we have Scott Hammond going, doing a drum roll. Yeah. And then it ends on one, one more chord. And to me, I believe that that is a reference to the beheading of John. Mm. The beheading Good of John catch. the Baptist, which, which we have referenced in the text itself. Dark narrative of grave and passion, head on a platter, cross and nail. Dark narrative of grave and passion, head on a platter, cross and nail. Yeah, that's my favorite, my favorite line, head on platter, cross and nail. So good. So good. So dark. So good. What else do we want to say about the music of this, Nick? 
The only thing that I really wanted to point out that we haven't covered yet is the fact that we have those super synthy strings coming through from John O'Hara. Oh, yeah. You know, these kind of bees are special. The bumper one, maybe more bit too. Yeah, they're, they're nice. They're fairly subtle. You really got to listen for them, but they, uh, they almost waver into to Christmas album strings, it feels like, almost. They feel there's something behind them there. Is it, it can't be the Sturtz Quartet. No, 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 I don't think so. I, I, we don't see any reference of them. Would have been very difficult to record a quartet anyway. Exactly, and they're, they're pretty synthy. Yeah, pretty no, synthy, yeah, you're, yeah, I agree. But it maybe is in that style. Yes. That compositional style. Yeah, a bit sweeping, a bit kind of bright, bright sounding. It's a nice contrast from that, that heavy, you know, it works in the upper registers with Ian's flutes yeah. ripping in and out. And like so much of this album, what is so satisfying to me about the song is the contrast between that dark heaviness and that beautiful light lilting yeah. music. And it's it's so skillful the way that it plays back and forth between the two. Yeah, it, it's Old Testament, New Testament. It's how some people handle the Bible and religion versus how others handle the Bible and religion. It's, it is that, that light and dark is really, really just, it's, um, it's a vein of potent ore in this, this chunk of rock here. Like, you can't separate the two. It is the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Yeah. <laughs> this is the wilderness. I hate mosquitoes. <laughs> Sounds like me in, uh, in Boy Scouts. All right, Nick, here we are in the halfway section. We thought we'd do a little musician focus. Here we are again. On Mr. David Goodyear, bassist of the band. Yes, tell me about David Goodyear. He is, this may shock you, an Englishman. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. He is of a little younger than... Ian, but not much. He was born in 1954. When was Ian born? Uh, 47. Yeah, and he's been with Tull and Ian since 2007. Yeah, he's been with them through thick and thin. I mean, to 2007 saw... Uh, well, they didn't put out anything. I mean, the Christmas album was 2003, yeah. so... Right, so from 2007 until The Zealot Gene, he was playing entirely lines laid down by other bassists. And so now he finally has his music, his, his bass playing on a Jethro Tull studio recording. Yeah, However, right. he did also play on, and, and this is getting into a little bit of uh, gray territory, but he, he also played on Thick as a Brick 2 and Homo Erraticus, which you mm. know are officially Ian Anderson solo albums, but we may, for our purposes at some point, loop them into being Tull... The Tull Apocrypha, if you will. At this point, how do you separate those tangled strings? Mm, with a sharp knife. Yeah, just cut them. He's also played a lot of jazz, and he has worked in a lot of band, like pit bands, for theaters. Mm. Oh, cool. There's a pretty good gig. Looks like he was, he recorded with the UK-based Celtic jazz group Carmina, on their album, My Crescent City. Wow. Not to be confused with Carmen, who PJV was the violinist of, I believe. I don't remember, remember any of that, so I must, yeah. uh, I must compliment your memory. You've been clearly taking your ginkgo biloba. What's that? 
That was popular in the um, early 2000s. Hey, there's a joke about me oh. not remembering <laughs> what King Kong uh, uh, is. Playing in a playing in a theater pit band is a is a lot of uh, a lot of work, very focused, and there the unions around that are are pretty pretty tight. I imagine you know if really he, yeah. If he was in the West End, you know he could probably make a make a good gig for himself, mm-hmm. coming in and playing for Wicked or Fiddler on the Roof or what have you. Is that SAG? Does that fall under SAG? No, it's a or AFTRA rather. I think it's a totally other union. It's it's a musicians hmm. union, um, and I don't know if it is associated with you know if it's an equity show. If it the equity musicians, I don't think so. I think they have to contract separately with with that union. I remember for a while there was a contract agreement in New York where the musician union had made agreements not with equity, not with the people producing theater, but with the theaters themselves, the actual physical theaters. Oh, wow! And there was this agreement that. They came to this crazy agreement that no matter what the show, you had to employ six pit musicians. <laughs> and it's like, well, what if we're doing what? what if we're doing Long Day's Journey tonight? Doesn't matter. You have to employ six pit musicians. And so there were some shows where there would be a completely musicless production going on, and six guys in the pit playing poker <laughs> for three hours, just getting paid. So is it is it because in the long run we'll be will give you a cheaper deal across the board, but you still have to employ us at all times? Like, what? why would they agree to that? I think because the Musicians Union was very powerful and kind of had had the industry in a headlock. It wasn't so much, we will give you a better deal. It's unless you employ us for the shows, even where there isn't music, wow. we simply won't play your musicals and you'll be out of luck. That's coercion? That's... That doesn't feel right, but it feels very That's New, New York. York, baby. <laughs> hey, look at that saxophone. It'd be a shame if that fell off a truck, huh? <laughs> oh, but then the directors started getting clever, and they were like, well, maybe we'll just have a little bit of incidental music in between the oh, acts. Like, oh, make no, them work, yeah. <laughs> yeah, get what you paid for. Anything else to say about David Goodyear and musicians in general, Nick? Well, he's a bassist. Um, he certainly does not have the lore that Jeffrey Hammond Hammond had or the the chutzpah and straight up just like raw amazing talent that Barry's friend who is it the one who died Glasscock. early Glasscock John, John Glasscock John Glasscock yeah he doesn't have that presence but this we're falling into this this rough zone of how much presence is he allowed to have you know, it's something that I think is worthwhile talking about and ultimately comes down to what is the difference between being a part of a rock band that is in its ascendancy versus being a part of a rock band that is maintaining its credibility. And at a certain yeah. point, you can't just play whatever you want because you have to play it in the way you almost have to become a chameleon. You have to play the baseline that Jeffrey Hammond Hammond created. You have to play the baseline that John Glasscock created because if you do it wrong... The fans are going to say, well, that's disrespectful to John Glasscock. And you're like, well, yeah, sorry. I'm just trying to play the bass here. Yeah, it's tough. It's tough. You, that, that's a really good point that you're, you have to stay true to that source material. You are in those, the, those first, say, like 20, 25 years when they were so feckened and everything had this unique sound and everyone really stood out. You are creating that catalog as opposed to, like you said, you're maintaining that catalog. Sure, you can be creative as a bassist, 
but only on the zealot gene and now rock flute and then the new one that ian started that's coming out next year and so on and so on but you you still have to color in the lines i'm sure that there's some degree of creativity that you have you know all the songs are the way that the songs are orchestrated is not going to be the same now as it was in 1983 sure right and on the other hand it's it's a matter of who ian is hiring at the time, back in 73, back in, you know, the 70s and 80s, uh-huh. especially the earlier you go, you're looking for something different. You're looking mm. for something, mm-hmm. you're looking for somebody to come in and bring their personality and come in and bring their mm-hmm. followers. Right, right. And bring that fire. Now, you're not necessarily looking for that. You're looking for somebody who's going to show up on time and play very, very consistently, you know, 300 shows a year. And hit their marks and hit it really well and be able to, to repeat. You're looking for something different. And so, yeah, you would look for somebody who has played in the pit orchestras, who says, oh, here's the score, mm, great. I'm going to mm-hmm, sit down and bang mm-hmm. it out and, and play it perfectly. Because that's what you need. You don't need somebody right. saying, yeah, I'm a bassist. Look at my crazy personality. Yeah. Like, yeah, all right. Mm. Yeah, we get it. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's super valid. That's super, super valid. Thank you. You could almost have a better options for creativity in a tall cover band, I would think. Absolutely. It has to do with the pressure of it. I mean, if you're opening a Broadway musical and you can get Patti LuPone to originate the role, you should absolutely get Patti mm. LuPone to originate mm-hmm. the role. But if you're on your 37th year of Phantom of the Opera running, you do not want to bring in Patti LuPone. <laughs> You bring in like a young upstart who has a name elsewhere who will draw people in. Well, there's two ways of doing it. One is the yeah. it's a bad example because you know, one is you you get Michael Sarah to to come in and it's a big gag and you you know you right. draw everyone in that way. But otherwise if you're just casting in the in the ensemble, you want somebody who yeah. can do the show the way that it has been done literally thousands of times before and not complain. Yeah, I, I just saw a couple of weeks ago, I saw an article on, on NPR about Sweeney Todd, and apparently Josh Groban played Sweeney Todd at one point. Hmm. And that's, that was immediately what came to mind. Like, he had this career, he's been dabbling in acting a little bit, he's clearly going to pull in a different audience who has never seen Sweeney Todd or wants to see a different version of yes. it. You know, and they're, they're Grobanites, as we call ourselves. <laughs> <laughs> Yikes. But yeah, I, it ultimately... This kind of always falls back to this era of being, I don't mean this in, in any form of negative way, but this pulls them back into the idea that they're basically glorified session musicians. They're, it's Ian Anderson and the Jethro Tull Band. Yeah, I would say it's just a different era and it, and it requires different participants. Yeah, and I think really tearing that apart, really dissecting that idea makes it less of a like oh well they're not they mm, they're they're just session musicians you know like like session musicians are absurdly talented and can do it their job very very well and that is they're they're just doing a different job yeah and in some ways a a more rigorous harder job because they have to repeat everything that's been done before them mm-hmm. anything else to say about mr goodyear no no, I think that's pretty good. I think we covered him and we covered the idea of musicians in Tull later period. And I, I think that's that's a good breakdown. We covered him up with Little Blanky 
and said, take a nap. Tucked him in, gave him a kiss on the forehead. Tuck tall to me. You know, there are a lot of podcasts out there that are, are like, I'm just going to talk very quietly and soft and you're going to fall asleep to this. Yeah, because people are profoundly lonely. Yeah. And lulled, yeah. lulled by the spirit. So we should do Tuck Tall to Me. I think tuck, that's a good idea. Tuck Tall to Me, a sleepy Jethro Tull podcast. This is Cat Squirrel. It's a, a cover. <laughs> it's a cover of a Roland Kirk song. <laughs> Now we will analyze that. Nick, hello. Hello, Omen. Here we are. Part two. I'm excited to talk about... What is this story? Why did Ian choose it? What is the reference to the Bible? Who is John? Who is Beth? What's the wild desert? Etc. Etc. Let's get into it. Let's get into it. We are uh, again on Luke chapter 1 verses 36 through 41. A quick little one here. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. <laughs> yeah, so there's some really interesting... I mean, we will not even scratch the surface. We will smudge, we will put our dirty fingerprints on the surface of this story. Ian certainly doesn't, I certainly isn't intending to take stuff out of context, but I feel like this one really in particular has so much more working on the back end that he just, he obviously can't cover with just like a blurb. I love the way that he contextualizes the song. I mean, there's so much that he brings into the song. Oh, yeah. Just a Reader's Digest version of the story coming up on the birth of, of Jesus Christ. And in prelude to that, the angel Gabriel makes himself known to Zechariah, who's a priest, and his job is to burn the incense, hence all the incense references I made in the triptych. Mm -hmm. And he is Elizabeth's... Husband. Husband, hubby. And they're both old. And the, the angel says, guess what, Zachariah? Oh, sorry, don't freak out. Uh, I know this is super scary. Don't look directly at, at the 3,000 eyes. Right. But guess what? Your wife's going to have a baby. Isn't that great news? Mazel tov. And Zachariah's like, uh, well, that sounds kind of unlikely, given the fact that we're in our, like, 80s. And, um, yeah, and the angel says, do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your prayer is heard, and your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John, and you shall have great joy in it and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. So, it's sort of like a dry run for the Jesus birth? It really is. It, there's this parallel yeah. that's sort of like they're both, they both come into the world in a very similar way. It's not a virgin mm -hmm. birth, but it's a, it is an unlikely, almost impossible miracle pregnancy. And even in the life of John, there were several points where he says, I am not the savior. Let's get stuff clear here. Mm -hmm. Yes, I'm miraculous, but I'm not the savior. I am not the light. I am an observer of the light. 
So people came, flocked from all around. They heard this guy, this really cool guy was doing miracles. And they're like, oh, who is it? It's, it's a J guy. It's he starts with a J. Yeah. He's got long hair. Yeah, he's got yeah. a beard, sandals. Th that guy's named John. That's him. Praise him. Yeah. It's like, it's not. It's no, not no, it's me. not me. It's interesting that Ian quotes Luke because Luke is the only one of the gospelins. Gospelins? <laughs> Disciples? No, the ones who have gospels. Oh, I like Gosplins. It's the only one of the book writer people who say that, yes, there's this relationship between Jesus and John pre-adulthood. Mm, mm -hmm. In all the other ones, Jesus finds John living as a wild man in the, in the woods, wearing a, oh, yeah. a hair shirt and, and literally just like being out there. Doing his John thing. Doing his John thing. Speaking of young Jesus and the, and the rarity of it, there is a, what's his name? There's a book called Lamb that is, okay. it's by, oh, Christopher Moore, the, the great comedic writer, Christopher Moore. And it's about that time period where the Bible doesn't have information about Jesus. Okay. It's hilarious and it's beautiful. I weep every time I read it. It was actually uh, recommended and given to me by our friend Kelly Stallard. Oh, lovely. Uh, highly recommend it. It's, it is wonderful. It's told from the viewpoint of the gospel according to Biff, Jesus Christ's best friend. Okay. Yeah. I think I've heard of that. It's very good. So yes, this is the only one that talks about pre-Wild Man days. Yeah, and some scholars have said Luke is not the most reliable source when it comes to this stuff, and that he kind of made it up out of convenience because it worked really well. Mm. To which I say to Luke, you know, props for the literary magic that he made. I wonder what makes him, like, not a reliable source. You know, what makes any of them more reliable than the other? I think it was his, it was his descriptions of dinosaurs in the Bible. <laughs> he's, he's just really sarcastic. We're just yeah. not sure how to interpret it. And Jesus was good. Was he good, though? Luke, are you sure? I said he was good, he's right? Good. He was good at badminton. <laughs> okay, so we know the pre-story, the history. Yep. So the angel comes to Elizabeth and Zechariah, you're going to have a baby. Mm -hmm. You're going to fall pregnant, as some people say. Mm -hmm. And then they go to Mary as well and say, go visit your cousin, your sister. Yeah. Sister? Cousin? Cousin, aunt, depending. The original word just meant relative, mm. you know, which could mean anything. Yeah, right. So, yeah, some, some sort of an el elder relation. Mm-hmm. And she goes and she talks to Elizabeth, said, Mazeltov, I'm so happy for you. And John hears Mary's voice, recognizes the importance of Mary mm -hmm. and the presence of Jesus and does a little Scottish jig in there. Yeah. Yeah. So let's then get to the song. Yes. The song at hand. Oh, the joy. Oh, the joy to feel the faint beat pulsing. Oh, the joy. Oh, the joy. To feel the faint beat pulsing. Is that a, a reference to kicking? The baby kicking? You know, or just the, just the idea of the conception? I think it's the idea of the conception. You know, this, this idea that Elizabeth and Zechariah had wanted a child for so long and had accepted the fact that, okay, we are barren. We're not going to have a kid. Yeah. Oh my God, I feel it. There's literally a baby inside me. I mean, that's yeah. the, the miracle of the rush of that miracle is I think really what's being referenced here. Imagine if the angel hadn't shown up to say, hey, this is happening, and then you're just, like, pregnant at 80. That would be, that'd be quite the surprise. Not sure which would be more disturbing. 
That's valid. That's valid. Cousin Mary, Cousin Mary set two hearts racing. Cousin Mary, Cousin Mary set two hearts racing. Why two hearts, Nick? Well, it is Elizabeth and John. Is it not? Elizabeth and John? Why is Mary responsible for that? Well, her presence. Remember, it makes John go, Oh, Ooh. right, 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 yeah. right, right. That makes sense. Or, or is it John, the, is it the reaction of John leaping in the womb and then bringing Jesus to life? She obviously sets that heart racing. I like that. I think that makes sense. Very valid. Winged Gabriel, young Gabriel, he started something. Winged Gabriel, young Gabriel, he started something. That's fascinating, too. Mm. Kind of the shady tone that we have there on that line. Yeah. Ultimately, what did he start? Yeah, what you indeed know, did he start? Wow. Yeah, I mean, in in the, I mean, he furthered Christianity. Well, he started. He laid the groundwork for it. Laid the pipe, but also John ended up beheaded. You know, so it's like, right. And that's yeah, a, it's tough. That's something that I think is we get to more in the end of the song. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's also this is the thing that really fascinates me about this is that there does seem to be this very intertwined fate between John and Jesus. Yeah. One of the big reasons that John is famous is because of the first baptism. Right. John baptizes Jesus and that is a moment where Jesus hears the voice of God and the spirit descends upon him like a dove and I think it's a maybe a confirmation of his godhead. Mm. His life choices. And that's where we get that tradition of baptism to cleanse you of your sins and prepare you for heaven because you can't get into heaven if you're not baptized. And the babies who are not baptized go to limbo, according to Dante, right? It's like a special pocket of limbo, I believe. I think that's right. Yeah. Because they're born with original sin and baptism clears that slate. And original sin is inherited from Mary. No, I'm sorry, not not Mary. Eve, Eve. Yeah. who ate the fruit of knowledge could be a pomegranate, definitely was not an apple. You get a gold sticker for Sunday school. Thank you. So we have the baptism referenced in A Dip in Jordan's Heavy Brew. A Dip in Jordan's Heavy Brew. The Jordan River is where Jesus was baptized. But this um, this notion of the intertwining comes with, you know he's going to be so special. Not number one, maybe number two. You know he's going to be so special. The bumper one, maybe number two. Referencing John. Yes. Yeah. And that's where, you know, I made the quip about Neville Longbottom, but it really is kind of similar. Like, yeah. And I think there is a tradition in literature of here's the savior and here's kind of the backup savior just in case. <laughs> the backup. Well, you never want to put all your eggs in one basket. Sure. Yeah, 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 yeah. And it's nice because it has... There's this level, like you said later on, where he's like, I'm not the light, I'm the observer. There's a lot like Neville Longbottom, there's a humility there. Yes. There's not a competition. They know their roles and they stay in their lanes. That's exactly it. Yes, am I the product of a divine birth? Absolutely. Am I divine? Mm, yeah. Maybe. I'm just here to help. Yeah. <laughs> what can I do? I'm here. I will move chairs if I have to. Somebody need to wash. I'm just going to wash these dishes. No, no, you sit. Cousin Mary gets all the credit. Iconic mother, that's all understood. Well, Baron Beth, wrinkly life bringer, helped two J's, two little J's to find their nests. Cousin Mary gets all the credit. 
iconic mother That's all understood While Baron Beth Wrinkly live bringer Helps to chase To find them So this is very funny because it's written in silent singing as J like the bird. Mm-hmm. But I think that yeah. we, we have the pun on the letter J. Oh, of course, yeah. Gianna Jesus. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So a lot like that previous one of Mary setting two hearts racing, we're giving the less acknowledged character in this story, Beth, credit for helping the two J's. Yes. Is that the same thing, basically? Like, Jesus wouldn't have found his way had John not come into the picture, and therefore she, by bearing him, she brought that light to everybody. I think that's exactly the implication, absolutely. And that that credit is totally overlooked. Yeah. It's funny, you know, when I heard this song for the first time, I did ring a bell of a Christmas sermon that I once heard. Mm. that did specifically talk about Beth. Interesting. And it was just basically like, hey, she did stuff. We should acknowledge her. I think it was maybe just reading the chapter. Maybe it was just reading Luke oh. and, and it's in there. But it does have this feeling of like, John exists to convince Mary that this is real. We need Mary to buy in. Mm. Mm-hmm. Mary's a tough sell. So what are we going to do? We're going to go do an easy sell. This lady who's always wanted a baby, guess what? Mm-hmm. You know what? You get a baby. You get a baby. Look under your seats. It's a baby. Handing them out, yeah. And because we have the acceptance of this miracle from Baron Beth, mm-hmm. that allows Mary, you know, Mary's like, no, 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 I don't want this. This doesn't make any sense. And Gabriel's able to say, well, I can prove to you that this is real. Look, your cousin is pregnant, and that's even more unlikely than you being pregnant. Hmm. Go see her. That's what makes it click, I guess. Yeah. I wonder why he couldn't have just, like, made her pregnant. That would be enough. Because of consent, Nick. I mean, you say that slightly jokingly, but I mean, that really does kind of fit here. It makes sense, doesn't it? Yeah. You have to invite a vampire into your house you have to invite an angel into your womb. <laughs> yeah, I think that is it. Like, if you're going to have an earthly vessel for the birth of the savior of mankind, she should be into it. It's got to be willing, for sure, yeah. 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 I'm trying to get um, some notes on his death. Oh, okay. John had rebuked Herod for marrying Herodias, the ex-wife of Herod's brother a very Catherine of Aragon, Henry VIII situation. Yeah. So he rebuked them. The wife demanded the execution of John, but Herod... That's right. ...was like, I kind of am a fan of John, and also he's <sighs> he's like a really big religious figure around here. And then... Oh, God, it gets even worse. And then the daughter of Herodias, who presumably is Herod's niece, dances in front of him pleases him and in front of herod or john in front of herod okay and herod is like i'll give you anything you want baby and uh her mother instructs her to ask for the head of john the baptist Mm, is that scheherazade is that who that is 
What's the, the niece's name? Scheherazade. Scheherazade. No, Scheherazade is the Thousand Arabian Nights. Salome. I knew it was an S. It's Salome. Salamander. Salome. <laughs> so Salome was manipulated to do so just because of a jealous lady. And not, not even jealous, right? Like Vengeful. Vengeful? Yeah. Yes, I would say so. And so, because of all that, Herod did demand the chopping off of the head of John the Baptist. Which made him a martyr. You know, silver yes. lining, I guess. So, there are also references to John. There's a prophecy uh, in the book of Isaiah which says, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for our Lord, make paths straight for him. So there really is this sense that what would one be without the other? Yeah. John was really doing the work of Jesus before Jesus, during Jesus, and after Jesus, he was he was carrying on the preaching, he was doing the baptisms, and eventually he got his head chopped off for all of his good works. As is the way with, he's a, he's gotta be a saint, right? Or is he like, is he above sainthood? He's a saint. He's St. John. He's a saint. Okay. So as is the way with, with saints, they're usually canonized after they've been punished for their beliefs. Usually. Not always. Yeah. Wow. There are also roughly another hundred St. Johns. Yeah. John was a fairly popular name, probably because of John the Baptist, I reckon. It's a Catholic name. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Definitely. So, we've found allegory, and we've been able to place all of the songs so far into kind of present day, right? Like, we've been able to translate them. What do you see? How do you see that working with this? And does it have to? No, it doesn't. It'd be <laughs> nice if it did. <laughs> I'm glad we had this talk. It'd be, I mean, it, 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 obviously it doesn't have to, but for consistency's sake, it sure would be nice if it did. It's tough. This one's hard. I mean, there are so many examples in modern life of someone being famous and taking the credit for the work of others. We have talked about mm. Nikola Tesla who said famously, it doesn't bother me that they steal my ideas, it bothers me that they have no ideas of themselves. Yeah, that was Edison, I think, was oh, yes. uh, the, the big rivalry there. Uh, speaking of Tesla, Elon Musk gets oh, yes. all the credit for uh, everything. For everyone else's ideas, yeah. So yeah. Now, I don't like any of those comparisons because none of the people that we mentioned have any Jesus qualities. Correct, yeah. But, you know, I think that I guess what I take from this is not a sense of something super modern necessarily, but something that is really universal, which is, well, you know, actually, let's look at, let's look at Martin Luther King. Martin Luther King was the head of a movement. He was the voice mm. of a movement. But there were other people organizing, making the paths straight sure. before him. And yes, he was crucified. Mm -hmm. And they were also had their heads cut off in various ways. Yeah. And to this day, don't get the kind of credit that Martin Luther King gets. That's really good. That's a, a really good one. And that's not saying that Martin, that Martin Luther King doesn't deserve that credit. Of course he does. But it's just, 
bringing into 3D our vision of something to say, oh yeah, it's it's so easy to say, oh yeah, the civil rights movement led by Mar- uh, Martin Luther King, and then he died yeah. and, and it was over. But that's not the full story. And what I love about this is that Ian is saying, yeah, Jesus, the savior, virgin birth and all that, not the full story. Doesn't right. invalidate any of Jesus's worth. But it, and it actually makes it more worthy to say that like, it almost is saying Jesus wasn't one person that the work of all these people combined, specifically these two people, this kind of a dyad in the foss, to quote the worst Star Wars movie ever. It's hard to narrow it down. <laughs> so many candidates. The last six, at least. Yeah, I like that a lot. I do like that a lot because it does, it can be like picked up and dropped onto the, the structure of something else. I mean, that idea of the figurehead. It's easy for people to follow one person, to have one face represent things. But yeah, there's no way they got there on their own. As a great man once said, as a man, I can be corrupted. I can be killed. I can be imprisoned. But as a symbol, I am incorruptible. Who is that? I know it. I just heard it. It's Batman. It's Batman. That's what it is. Yep. But, I mean, not a bad comparison. Batman isn't one person. Batman is, yes, this very, very special person who no one else could do what he did, mm-hmm. but also with the help of Alfred, who is there always working, making the way in front of him uh, easier, clearing his path. Yeah. Oracle. Oracle. Yeah. Bat dog. Ace. His name is Ace. Yeah, in the 90s. Oh, my. <laughs> the whole Bat family. They, they're referred to the Bat family now in current iterations. Bat clan. Bat clan. Yeah, I, I like that a lot. I do really like that a lot. And I mean, devil's advocate, it can also be uh, applied to, to the negative as well. Hitler wasn't alone. Oh. Hitler wasn't a single guy who, who worked his way up the lines and then all of a sudden, surprise, right. didn't tell you this, but I hate Jews. Right. right. He had the support of all the, all the people, Goebbels and Rommel and all of them. Yeah. All those nasty people. So I think the takeaway is big things don't happen by one person alone. What is it? Something doesn't happen in a vacuum? What is, what's the... Nature abhors a vacuum? Yeah, but there's something else that's like something doesn't happen in a vacuum. I forgot to vacuum this weekend. Yeah. I think it's nothing happens in a vacuum. It could it could also be that, yeah. But but nothing does actually happen in a vacuum. <laughs> right. It's multi-layered. It's lovely. That's the only place where nothing can happen. Exactly. As the Buddhists would say, there is nothing that has a single cause. No phenomenon has one single cause that causes it. Yeah. Right. Wow. Yeah, that was that was Baron Beth, Wild Desert John. Oh, and what I think you mentioned earlier, Wild Desert John, because that's where where Jesus found him, right? Yes, he was wild yeah. in the desert. He was crying in the wilderness, eating locusts and honey. Do we know why? That was his rumspringa depression. <laughs> I mean, it's possible. It's possible. Do you know what we are chatting next week? I believe I do. I believe this is going to be continuing on with Luke. Also switching to a much more Ian 
instrumental section. Mm-hmm. Where did Saturday go? Nope. <laughs> the betrayal of Joshua Kine. Oh, one of the one of the jewels in the crown of this album. Mm-hmm. Agreed. One yeah, of the yeah, Jews yeah. in the crown of this album. This second half is really lovely. I do really, really like the second half. Are you talking about it's the Bible? Yes. Yeah, the second half of the Bible. I do really like the New Testament. Really fun. Yeah. Really fun stuff. It's great. The The coloring pages in the back are just my favorite part. <laughs> Until next week. You can hide your wrinkly life bringer body by dressing in Talk Told To Me merch. You can mm-hmm. find that merch with, I think, five, I think five different Talk Told To Me designs on our TeePublic link that you can grab from the show notes. The Discord chat and the Patreon membership. What would one be without the other? Nothing at all. They are two <laughs> sides of the same coin. If you if you become a member to our Patreon, you will have access to this Discord chat. If you have access to the Discord chat, it's because you joined our Patreon. It's full. It's an Ouroboros. I request no angry ranting only raving when you give us a review and a rating on Apple Podcast or Spotify, if Spotify allows you to do that in your country. Don't think it does currently in the States. Until next week, I've got bad wins. I'm Omen Thomas Said. Uh, you know I'm going to be so special. I'm Nick McGill. We are Two Drops in Jordan's Heavy Brew, The Feckless Moms. And we are filled with passion and preparation. Talk tell to me. Uh, hi, um, Elizabeth. Hi. Welcome. Thanks for coming in. Oh, yes. I have my paperwork here, Doctor. Thank you. Let me take a look at this here. Oh, such a comfortable chair. So I, I see you filled out the paperwork. That's that's great. But um, in your words, could you could you tell me why you came in today? Well, doctor, you know it's at my age, one never knows is this pain just from all of my blessed years on this life, or am I about to keel over and kick the bucket? That's valid. That's valid, yep. I have a little pain in my back, and I thought maybe it was worthwhile getting it looked at. Sure. Okay. Okay, we can do that. I um, I do see it's been at least a year since you've been in, so I would like to run some blood work. i just like to, to make sure everything's good there. Here's some blood for you. Oh. Is that, is that... Does that normally happen? Are you... It's just not supposed to happen. I, I've always had a spigot at my third nipple. Okay, I'm gonna, I'm just gonna put that in your notes here. Okay, um, bit concerning, but um, I, I mean, as, if it doesn't bother you at your age, I say we don't do anything about it. My husband Zachariah always calls it my red rose. He loves my roses. I see that. Okay, so how much caffeine do you consume? On a, on a daily basis. Well, I I typically don't drink too much. I start out the day by double fisting a Red Bull and a Monster Energy, and that gives me enough motivation to get the coffee on. 
Gotcha. Okay. Okay. And uh, alcohol consumption? It depends on how you define it. I do consume alcohol in the sense that I am entirely based on alcohol and have never drunk anything else in my life. Wow. Okay. Bit of a party animal. I, I see. I see. That smell is not death. It's date wine. And um, are you a smoker? I love to roll the fat spliffs out of what my husband (laughs) (laughs) brings home from the temple. You see, his job is to make the incense. And, well, I always give him a little something extra to put in there because it helps people see God. Gotcha. Okay. Wow. I've got an ayahuasca tab right here if you want to take the afternoon off, Doctor. I... I, I appreciate the offer. Um, I would also advise you not take it at your age. But, I mean, again, if if it's been happening this whole time and you're okay, then don't change what you're doing. It's the only way the dishes get done. Wow, okay. If I don't have Beth's little helper. All right, so uh, let me take a look at your back here. Whoa. Okay. I see here. I see. Wow, okay. So it looks like you just you might be kind of... This, this looks like a bit of wear and tear from, you know, just carrying a lot of weight. Do you do, you do a lot of heavy lifting? Well, yes, I, I, uh, I lift the firewood, I lift the water for the washing, and, and I also love to give Zachariah pony back rides. He'll ride me to the temple. I go back by myself, and then I pick him up around 4.30 for his tea. Could we get you on the scale now, Beth? Okay. Wow. I I see you've you've put on a significant amount of weight uh, since you were last in. Um, everything okay? Your eating has changed at all, or I'm eating like a fucking horse. I don't know what's going wow. on. I okay. I tackle. I'll tackle a ham sandwich as fast as you can say, diggity dog. And uh, how's your how's your stomach doing? Are you did you feel, experience any nausea or anything? Bloating. Bloating. I throw up every morning. I have constant cravings for cakes, pollywogs, and the blood of my enemies, which never has happened before. I really it's it's like I'm freaking out in here, doctor. Yeah, those are those are some very peculiar symptoms here and i'm just kind of putting things together just kind of off the back of the napkin math here i know that you are are 800 years old but i you are showing signs of being pregnant oh my well that explains something unusual i've been experiencing and didn't want to mention i encourage you to share everything with your doctor well whenever i squat on the hole on the floor to take a slash and I open up my pleasure cave, a voice emits from the depth, calling out, Oh, Beth, don't you know the dog talked to me? Proud member of the fish, smoke on your neck, who? 